There is almost no one that this coronavirus has not affected in some way or another. And we were in an office just as the outbreak was starting in the United States and people were getting their early responses in where we got to watch a leader who did a fantastic job and want to share a little bit of what he did and some of the principles you can use to lead your team through rapid change and crisis. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. When he started work that week, Aaron, the manager whose meeting that we were able to attend, he didn't know that he was going to be asked to guide his team through a a coronavirus response. Probably you didn't either. But within a few days, the situation had become pretty urgent. He was in one of the, the cities with some of the earlier outbreaks, and major clients were making changes very quickly. And it was great to be able to watch him. He brought his leadership team together to communicate next steps. And he gracefully led his team through the day's situation. Even though it was urgent, the entire office worked with clarity, with focus, and resolve. And the same principles that Aaron used to lead his team through rapid change and through that day's crisis, they'll work for you too. So as you and your team respond to this rapidly evolving reality, or the next one that comes along, here are some things you can do. First is you want to over-communicate clear, precise actions. Aaron's first message was very clear. He told his team that they needed to call every client. They needed to ask a very specific question, and then they needed to provide some specific information. He kept it simple. You want to check for understanding and be ready to repeat what matters most frequently, because when your people are worried and stressed themselves and there's rapid change and crisis going on, communication's more challenging. We're fighting through more fog and haze in our brains, there are more distractions. And so even with his seemingly straightforward request, call every client, ask this question, share this information, there were still follow-up questions. And Aaron patiently and confidently reiterated the task through every question. A phone call to every client, voice-to-voice communication is our MIT, our most important thing. And if we can't do that, we'll use email for a backup. But number one, number two, number three, Make the phone call. Try to get voice to voice. Ask them this. Tell them this. So your focus on clear, concise communication. The goal here is to leave no doubt about who will do what and by when. The next thing to do when you're leading your team through this kind of crisis and rapid change is acknowledge the emotion. Emotions don't go away because you ignore them. In fact, it makes them stronger. So when you have to lead through rapid change and stressful circumstances, acknowledge how everyone feels. The way Aaron did this was he looked at his team and he said, listen, I know this is scary and there are lots of things we don't know. We have a plan for today and that's what we need to do today. And if anyone needs to talk with me individually, I'm here. Now, if you're not sure how everyone's feeling, it's okay to take a moment to ask. You're not creating an opportunity to wallow in in negativity or anything like that, but you're acknowledging their emotions. You know, it's okay to feel nervous or upset times like this. That's okay. It's normal. And we're going to feel nervous. We're going to feel upset and we're going to do all the things we can to take care of one another. And then here's what we're going to do. As you're addressing that kind of uncertainty, 
The third thing you want to do as you're leading your team through crisis and through rapid change is to focus on what you do know and what you can do. There are going to be lots of things you don't know, problems that are going to come along, and you don't even know what they are yet. Clarity is the antidote to uncertainty. You don't have to know everything. Focus on what you do know, on the next steps that are in front of you, whatever needs to happen next in the process going forward. You don't know what's going to happen or what decisions will be in the future, but you can be 100% clear about what you do know and what you will do next. That clarity is the antidote to uncertainty. You can see the opposite of that as different government officials issue conflicting advice and some of the confusion that that creates in people. The more clear you can be, the more clarity you can have about this is what we know, this is the next step, the more confident your people are going to feel and the more they're going to be able to take whatever step or whatever action they need to in the midst of all their own feelings. Next, communicate your confidence. One of our favorite parts of this meeting was when Aaron told his team, I know there's a lot going on, and this is on top of all the other things we've normally got to take care of, and I know you're up to it. If you need help, I'm here. That's a great example of how your belief in your people becomes their confidence in themselves. I just heard from one of our clients who shared that a lot of his leaders had gone into a very reactive, what he called their lizard or reptilian brain, and were reacting negatively. They're, they were very stressed having to deal with, uh, in the medical arena, having to deal with very high-stress situations with a lot at stake, and their leadership had gotten very negative. They had lost some of those winning well tendencies. It's normal for that to happen if we let it. I love what Aaron did next. He shared an analogy that he'd learned from a mentor of his. And you may have heard this. You may even do this. I know that I have certainly done it in my, my history on airplanes. Aaron said, as a leader, this is what his mentor told him, you're like a flight attendant during turbulence. When the plane shakes, it's flying through the air and the plane shakes, everyone looks at those flight attendants. If the flight attendant is joking or reading his phone, everyone relaxes. But if they're upset, then everyone's going to panic. And Aaron told his team, your job today is to be that calm flight attendant for your team. Now, Aaron had his own concerns. He confided those with us afterwards as we were debriefing the meeting. But he modeled this be the flight attendant approach beautifully. Your team is going to take their cue from you. So are you communicating confidence? Are you communicating that belief in your body language and how you're talking that you've got this? that your team can handle this, that they're up to the challenge, and that there's no reason to freak out or lose our perspective or fail to treat each other with the dignity and respect that, that we want to, particularly when times are tough. Finally, take time to address concerns. So even with that clear message that Aaron shared, calling every client, uh, sharing this information, asking this question, even with that clarity, there were concerns. And some of the concerns had nothing to do with the content of the meeting. They were people naturally worried about their own situations. So some of them involved work, some were personal concerns, some were about internal company procedures and response, and all of those he addressed. And where he had information, he shared it. Where plans were being developed, he was clear about the process and 
importantly, how he would inform everyone when the time came and, the, and there was a decision or there was information to pass along. And when the concerns were more personal, he scheduled time immediately in 15-minute increments to follow up with those team members individually. So everybody was able to be heard, their concerns were addressed, and everyone was able to move forward and focus. The atmosphere in the office that day was fantastic, as far as it could be given a crisis and rapid response situation with things changing. Everyone was focused. There was good morale, good energy. There was, yes, this underlying element and hum of of some anxiety and, and the uncertainty that everyone is facing, but there was focus and there was productive work and there were improved relationships because people were pulling together and working together. All of that becomes possible when you lead well and you lead with calm clarity in these situations. Hey, this is Nora and I have a question. Hi, David. My name is Jamie and I'm calling in from Maine. My question is about... Hey, David. This is Julian from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. This is John from Colorado Springs. This is Johan White from Kingston. I have a question for you. This is Cynthia from Baltimore. Hi, David. This is Susan from New Jersey, and my question is... Hi, David. This is Dean from Denver. I would love your advice on this. Before I answer today's question, if you're familiar with the show, you know that I love to answer questions, and I want to answer your question regarding leadership, management, or any previous episode of the show. You can send in those questions at leadershipwithoutlosingyoursoul.com, the website for the show, and there's a big orange button you can use to record your question, tell us where you're from, what your question is, and we'll use that on a future episode. Today's question is from Elizabeth, and it's a follow-up to the last episode regarding checking on your culture by examining shared resources like the break room microwave. So Elizabeth says, this conversation has so many facets. Our organization struggles with shared responsibility. Many of our teams are young male engineers with maybe a PhD to emphasize that they do important work. So who cleans up? The women on the admin team, thereby propagating a stereotype and making the work invisible. At the same time, though, harassing people, you know, those emails that everyone hates, isn't helpful. You can't ask someone to stop being messy. It's a kitchen. It happens. But if we all leave a few crumbs, then by the end of the day, it's pretty disgusting. We have to ask people to take a moment and clean up whoever is responsible because we value each other and we value our working environment. Our latest effort is to encourage people to keep the bathrooms clean. How fun is it to write about that in a group email? So Elizabeth brings up some important points here in her comments and and question, uh, rhetorical question, I think, about those group emails on the cleaning the bathroom. But it gives me a chance to clarify again, the goal is not to have a clean microwave. So if you missed that episode talking about uh, shared resources like the break room or a microwave or a great way to see, do you have a culture of mutual regard and taking care of one another, or is it everything's always left for somebody else? The, the tongue-in-cheek about the microwave is that the goal is to have a culture where everyone takes care of shared resources. They're looking out for and supporting one another's success. The microwave or any other shared resource, it's an indicator. So you can have that toxic culture with a sparkling clean break room, microwave, or anything else. How leaders engage everyone in the conversation and create that shared understanding of what success looks like and model the behaviors, that's what matters most. So as a leader, 
One of the things I would ask you in response to Elizabeth's question here is to be cognizant of some of those unwritten norms that can easily happen. If you work in a place where uh, you've got an imbalance of any type of group and one group ends up doing more of something than the other, that can happen. Are you aware of it? How can you change that? As a leader, how can you set a different example? How can you break the paradigm that says it's okay to leave your coffee mug on the conference table because someone's going to clean it up? Well, who? And why, if you can't take the extra five seconds to drop it off and rinse it out or wash it off yourself, why wouldn't you do that? Those are leadership role modeling decisions. And they might seem like small things. And I've met CEOs who say, you know what? No, my time's too valuable. I should be doing other things. I would argue differently. Yes, your time is important. And as a leader, it's vital that you're doing the work only you can do. But part of the work that only you can do is to be role modeling culture. And if the culture you're role modeling says that if you have the right letters behind your name, other people take care of you, and you're not taking care of them, I don't think that's the culture you want to propagate. Let's go back to that definition of culture that I shared several episodes back from Seth Godin. People like us do things like this. For leaders to change the culture, you've got to explicitly talk about it. You've got to engage the team in figuring out what behaviors are truly important. Model that change yourself and help everyone to hold each other accountable. That's what changes the culture. It's not just whether the microwave is clean. It's an indicator. What actually matters is the culture. What do you need to do as a leader to help people like us do things like this? Elizabeth, thanks so much for those comments and for the question and that chance to clarify. Do appreciate it. And I will look forward to answering your question in a future episode. Remember, when you have to lead through crisis or rapid change or stressful circumstances, you usually don't know what you'll show up to. But as a leader, you always choose how you'll show up. Your team needs you to choose clear, calm, focused, and connected. You don't know what you'll show up to, but you do choose how you'll show up. And that's how you become the leader you want your boss to be. See you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.